Many organizations do have purpose and meaning, but everyone's forgotten quite what it is. Um, a, sense of, a sense of purpose is something you need to recharge regularly. Um, you lose sight of what it is, you know, and I think one of the things that many modern corporates have to do a lot of the time is to tell their story back to themselves and their employees and say, okay, what, what are we here for, really? Hello, and thanks for listening to this episode of Focus Talks, a series of candid conversations with leaders, innovators, and change makers. This podcast is available in video format on the Investec Content Hub at focus.investec.com slash talks. Today, we're joined by Alain de Botton, a best-selling author in more than 30 countries who uses the wisdom of philosophy to help us live more fulfilling lives. He founded the School of Life in London, and today joins Mark Kahn, Investec's Global Head of HR and Organisation Development, to discuss the future and meaning of work. Hi everyone, I'm Mark Kahn, Head of uh, People and Organisation at Investec, and I'm really happy to welcome you to the first of our virtual Investec Focus Talks. I'm delighted to be joined by Alain de Baton. He's a philosopher, a best-selling author, and founder of the School of Life. Alain, uh, thank you very much for uh, agreeing to speak with us on this. Uh, you are a very unique and interesting individual, if you don't mind me saying, because you have this approach of uh, looking at the present and the future in terms of the wisdom of the past in a way that not many people are doing. You draw on, on, on classics, you draw on, on, the, on philosophy, to really understand uh, where we are now and, and what it means to have a fulfilling life. One of the most profound things that um, I have uh, read of yours and, uh, and listened to you on is your notion uh, of the modern concept of equality and in particular meritocracy, uh, which is a, a core cultural principle at Investec and in many companies. And I was just wondering if you care to share some of your insights as a, as a launch. Sure. Um, well, look, I think that um, the world has been dramatically unfair for most of its history. You know, a group of uh, strong and dominant people grabbed some land and called themselves kings and queens and, um, you know, beat everybody else up. And the allocation of resources for most of human history, fairness just didn't come into it. Um, you pick this up in language, you know, in the Middle Ages, when um, people were referring to people right at the bottom of society. They would call these people unfortunates. And the word unfortunate is an interesting one because it's got a bit of Latin in it. Um, fortune comes from Fortuna. Um, and Fortuna was the goddess of chance in Roman society. And in Roman times, it was understood that most of life, most of what happens in life is chance. Good luck, bad luck, but it's basically in the realm of chance. And that's why all over Italy, Roman Italy, there used to be shrines to the goddess of fortune. Then, you know, in the last sort of 200, 250 years, a remarkable idea came to the fore. First of all, among very progressive minds, and then eventually it became a widespread view. And the view suggested that the point of politics was not to create a completely equal world. It was to create a world in which the inequalities were merited. And this is the world that we now know with the word meritocracy. 
So, you know, if you've been good, you should get right to the top and get all the rewards. And if you've not, well, tough luck for you. Um, sounds great. What could possibly be wrong with that? Let me give you a little bit of the shadow side of it, though, because I think there is a shadow side of it. And the shadow side of it goes a little bit like this. Um, if you really believe in a world in which those who deserve to get to the top actually end up at the top, you'll also have to believe that this world is also one in which those who are at the bottom deserve to be there. So both success and failure starts to seem justified um, and moral. Um, and, you know, this has implications for how people at the bottom get treated. That creates a, a, an ideology in, in, in which the people who are doing well are superior to the people who are not doing well in a meritocracy, ironically. It's ironic, is what you're saying. Yes. I mean, look, ultimately what we're talking about is a rather strange word in this context, which is kindness. Now, what does it mean to be a kind person? One of the things um, that it means is that when you approach a stranger, you have quite a rich sense of how come they might have ended up where they've ended up. Um, and you've got quite a lot of imagination around, you know, what destiny and fate has in store for everybody. Um, and you don't rush to judgment. Um, you, you're aware of the number of forces that lead to things. And it's just got that empathy for those that have fallen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which we lack in our society. One of the comments that you make that I found to be, uh, you know, rather, rather interesting was what's missing in the meritocratic modern world is the empathy for those that have fallen. Um, instead, we subject them to ridicule because we don't have that sense of the unfortunates or the sense of the, the, you know, the tragedy of what that might be. They become the losers. That's right. And, you know, one of the consequences of this, and it's one of the most bizarre features of the modern world, is that we hold people so personally responsible for the arc of their destiny. Um, and this is very punishing. You know, you're carrying your whole story. There is no other explanation. Since this COVID crisis, we have seen broad, broad um, concern on the part of the uh, high, highest paid people for those that are likely to be most injured in what is a, 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 an economic downturn that no one caused in the commons. And we've seen salary sacrifice at executive level. Uh, we've seen acts of, of, uh, of charity. Um, we've seen the withholding of dividends to shareholders in order to ensure that uh, uh, institutions can manage and not affect people, furloughing employees. Do you think there's a change happening in society along these lines? The kindness that you refer to, the awareness of those that are unfortunate, well, I think, you know, one of the things that um, the virus has brought home is that um, we're only as safe as, um, you know, the weakest link in, in society. That, um, you know, this is a disease that you can have as much money as you want, but unless your society is functioning, unless your healthcare is functioning, um, you know, your advantages are as nothing. Um, and so very dramatically, it's, it's brought home a lesson in 
you know, what gets called kind of communitarianism, that um, it's the quality of the community that matters more than the success of the individual. Um, and that we should make sure that the community is in good shape um, as opposed to merely the individual. Now, this is a very, very high sort of ethical demand on on people. Okay, so let's let bring this to uh, a, a, an organisation, a corporate like us, investment. Okay, here we have a situation where we have actually as one of we have our core values and philosophies, and one of our philosophies is meritocracy. At the same time, we are committed to equality, and that's another one of our philosophies. How can we? How can a, how can a company as a culture work conceptually? to integrate both these considerations? Mm. Look, I think part of the problem is that companies are being asked to do too much. Um, you know, I think that a company is a, an institution within a society. It's not the only institution. Companies are very powerful, arguably too powerful. But a good society is one where people's identities um, exist on a number of levels. Everybody's a member of a family. They're a member of a policy, a polity. Uh, they're also a member of a company, etc. And these different groups have different value systems, different goals, uh, different objectives, etc. And I think that sometimes companies have very good motives, but they sometimes end up in a position of kind of overreach and they get confused about what their purpose really is. Um, and I think they need to work with other organizations outside of their own um, in order to try and achieve multifaceted goals. Because if you're just trying to do everything within a company, um, you're going to have a problem. So am I understanding you right, Alain, is that in, in your philosophical uh, uh, frame here, you're saying it is really too, it is a, too far a, a, a stretch, it's too tall an order to ask an organization to have a, a commercial outcomes as its purpose and at the same time to also uh, level the social playing field between previously disadvantaged groups um, in whatever social context they may be in. Um, I think, I think it, it is only going to work if companies work with governments and, and other large, you know, you, you need this to operate across the field. Um, corporates can't in themselves try and save the world and change society. Okay, uh, can, can I move to your school of life? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the school of life and, and, and its mission and how we could, as, a, as an organization, uh, how we could think about personal fulfillment in our work? The School of Life begins with a very simple premise that a lot of um, what we need in order to have bearable lives was never taught to us at school. Our education system is very technocratic, very geared towards certain practical outcomes. And one of the things it doesn't really address is emotional health and well-being. But the School of Life is one of many organizations in the world that offers help around uh, emotional difficulties, particularly the difficulties thrown up by relationships but also by difficult early histories and the legacies of anxiety, shame, depression um, that they often give us. 
Um, we work with organizations because a lot of the time what goes wrong in outside organizations are not merely technical challenges, they are emotional challenges. I know that sounds, could sound peculiar, but um, it's, it's like a family life where a lot of what goes wrong in family life is not just, you know, who's doing the chores and where the money's coming from, but it's emotional dynamics. Um, and these dynamics can cost companies an enormous amount of money and, of course, individuals an enormous amount of, of their lives. I mean, would it be fair to say it's a kind of, it's a, it's a secular, philosophical, scientific approach to, to self-fulfillment in the modern age? Um, yes, that's one of the things. You know, I, I'm very conscious that we used to be bound together by religion. So we used to have our, our jobs, uh, you know, five days a week we would be at our, our job, but then two days a week or one day a week we would be focused on this other entity that we belong to, the, the, community, the community of, of faith, of spirit. Um, for many of us, that no longer works, maybe didn't ever work brilliantly. Um, and we're on our own and we give ourselves the comfort really only of personal relationships, family life. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of isolation, um, a lot of questioning. Um, you know, we all have big brains and inside those brains are a lot of big questions. What am I really doing here? Uh, what's this really for? Um, and these questions start to gnaw at us. So, so let, me, let me see if I can um, use the opportunity to have the founder with, with your vision I lend a little bit of your thoughts to um, us, you know, us working in the corporate world right now at Investec and, and other companies. What would you say to our people, to me, uh, you know, mea culpa, by the way, mea culpa, um, in this pursuit of the career, the wealth building, the achievement, the recognition, all that pursuit, yet um, somehow lacking in a deep sense of, of fulfillment, um, stressed by the meritocracy <laughs> ideology. What is the frame to take on? It's, it's, it's a good question. You know, what's happening is that um, in many parts of the world, um, as the world gets richer, people are no longer satisfied with just making money, just a financial outcome. Um, they're looking for other things from their work. They want their work to feel meaningful, to connect them to others, um, a feeling that what you're doing is going to be valuable, properly valuable to other people, um, that you're making a difference. Um, and I think these are questions that can make some corporates really nervous. Many organizations do have purpose and meaning, but everyone's forgotten quite what it is. Um, a sense, of, a sense of purpose is something you need to recharge regularly. Um, you lose sight of what it is, you know. And I think one of the things that many modern corporates have to do a lot of the time is to tell their story back to themselves and their employees and say, okay, what, what are we here for, really? Climate change and equality is two sort of major, if you look at the sustainable development goals of the United Nations, they kind of like cluster around those two. There are others that are equally important, but just to be quick that. Isn't the opportunity for meaning-making, for self-fulfillment on the part of our company and any company to link the, the world of work for an individual in deploying your talents to create value into a narrative that makes a difference in the world in both in, in creating a more level playing field, a world of greater equality, addressing 
you know, the crisis of, of climate or whatever other, you, you know, agenda may be there, to integrate them together in a cultural narrative that is both commercial, meaning-making, socially relevant, that a person can take on by working in the company. I mean, if one can thread that together, is that not the compelling prospect um, of the 21st century corporate? You see, I think that meaning comes from a sense that you have made a difference to somebody's life. Um, now, one of, the, one of the overwhelming fantasies of people in large corporates is that they quit the large corporate and work in a small company um, and maybe have their own business. Now, why? What, what is, what's the thing about size? I, I think the fantasy about size is really the fantasy of connection with um, the meaning that you're delivering to somebody else. If you're working in an organization of, you know, 20,000 people where your corporate goals are going to unfold over the next five years um, and where you're operating in so many jurisdictions and, you know, the, diff the gap between you and the person that you're affecting is like, you know, 20,000 strong. Um, you're going to have a weak sense of meaning. It's not that your organization is meaningless. It's just you don't feel that meaning day to day. And that's why people have fantasies that they're going to, you know, open a sandwich shop. Because the good thing about a sandwich shop as a fantasy job is I make a sandwich at 9 a.m. I sell it at 9.30. I see a family. They're happy. They're munching on their sandwich. I feel that I've made an improvement to that day. And I feel that I've got a role to play in life. And that's so gratifying. The, the thing about industrialization is that it's just scaled up um, this, this issue of meaning. And it means that many, many people, you know, imagine if you're like in the accounts department of a major sandwich maker that's got 50,000 employees. So you're still in that business of helping a family to have lunch, but you don't feel that day to day. The distance to the, to the relationship that makes it meaningful. Uh, absolutely. I mean, look, why do so many people love sport? Okay, why is football so nice? Football's so nice because it lasts 90 minutes. You've got whatever it is, 11 players aside. Um, you've got a clear goal uh, and you can kind of see what everybody's doing. Like that guy hit the ball and that person did this and that, you know, and it's all comprehensible. We, we are creatures who can't hold too much in our heads. It just becomes an abstraction. It becomes dry and we can't feel it. So if the corporate world were a football game, it would be a, a football game that lasted 10 years. It would have about 32 goals. On the pitch at any one time might be 20,000 players. And rather than one ball, there'd be about 400 balls. And you would get totally confused. You wouldn't know what the point was. You, wouldn't, you, you can't even see anything. You just, you just don't know. So in the end, you're like in one little area sort of bouncing a ball around. And you just sort of you wonder what the whole point is. So I think one of the things that companies need to do, and it, it sounds trivial, but it's really very, very big and very deep as a mission, is tell its story to its people and know its story. What is it here for? Uh, every day, it needs to remind itself and those who work there. What are we here for? It doesn't need to be saving the world. Something can be meaningful uh, and not be connected up to the highest possible goals. Um, we know this from parenting. When you're bringing up a child, you're not, you're not sending humans to outer space, you're just making lunch. But it feels meaningful because you've got direct contact, you know this is building up to something, etc. And so often in modern corporate life, you just lose the plot. You literally, you lose, you don't know what you're here for anymore because there's too many people. It's too big. Alan, thank you very much.
we hope to be able to talk to you again in the future at some point. And, Thank you uh, so much. And uh, it's a great tribute to your company that you're asking yourselves these questions. Very, very gratifying. And if only more companies were as uh, questioning as you guys are. So well done. And thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Focus Talks, a series of candid conversations with leaders, innovators and changemakers. If you've enjoyed this podcast, give us a like and subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts.